0: We are in the book of Haggai today, the minor prophet Haggai. There are 12 minor prophets. By the way, sometimes things come in 12s in the scripture. It's easy to remember how many minor prophets there are. There's 12, there's 12 minor prophets. There's three major prophets, but there's 12 minor prophets. The only difference being the length of the book. There were 12 judges in Israel. Everyone say 12. So there's 12 judges in Israel, there's 12 minor prophets, there's 12 tribes of Israel, there's 12 apostles. So if you remember that number 12, 12 judges, 12 minor prophets, 12 apostles, 12 tribes of Israel, it's a little bit easier to categorize these different texts. The Lord has been prophesying through the first nine minor prophets that we have been going through that judgment is going to come. Judgment fell first on the northern kingdom. Assyria came in and swept them away. And then God used some of the minor prophets, some of the nine pre-exilic prophets to prophesy that Judah would be conquered, the southern kingdom. And so there was this continual prophecy, repent, turn back, judgment is coming. Whenever God says judgment is coming, He is, he's serious. He actually means it. When God says that there is a real hell after this world and after living here, he's, he's not joking, he's not guessing, and he's not saying something just to scare us. He's letting us know that there really is a life hereafter. We continue on in life. We either live forever with Christ or we end up living in darkness. And so when he says judgment is coming, he actually means it. And sure enough, judgment came to the southern kingdom. It wasn't only coming to the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom fell uh, 722 B.C., two dates you might want to remember. If you remember these two dates, there's a lot of uh, dates to remember. 722 B.C. is when the northern kingdom fell. And then the southern kingdom would fall to Babylon. Babylon would come in and take many of the Jews away, back to Babylon with them, making them exiles. This is why we talk about pre-exilic prophets and post-exilic prophets. We're talking about the exile. So Babylon comes in and sweeps away, conquers the southern kingdom. And there was actually a deportation. There were three waves of people being Deported three waves of Jews being deported at three different times in 605 there was a wave a small wave of Jews that was taken away and Daniel was among that group you remember Daniel Shadrach Meshach and Abednego they are taken away into captivity so that's the first wave then there's a second wave in 597 another wave of Jews is taken away from the southern kingdom. And finally, in 586, this is the second date to remember, uh, the third wave happens, and Judah finally falls. So you have these three waves. You have God saying, I'm going to conquer. I'm going to conquer the northern kingdom. That happened finally in 722. God says, I'm going to judge the southern kingdom. That happens definitively in 586, the temple falls, the city of Jerusalem falls. And God had prophesied, listen, you're going to go to Babylon and you're going to have to get used to living there. So build houses, marry people. and Don't think you're going to return right away because actually you're not going to return back to your homeland for 70 years. So imagine another nation comes into this country and sweeps many of its citizens and inhabitants away. And so we end up in China, or we end up in Russia, or we end up in some other nation around the world, and people are dying to get back home. I wish I could get back to Wilkes-Barre. I wish I could get back to Scranton or the Midwest or the South, wherever it is. I want to go back home. And God is saying, no, no, this this was judgment. This is what I told you was coming. Assyria came in, the northern kingdom's gone, Babylon comes in, the southern kingdom is gone. You're going to have to get used to living where you're at. In fact, you're going to live there for 70 years. So that means many of you are going to die there, especially if you're older and you have been deported. You live there for 70 years. Somewhere during that time span, people are going to die. This was going to be their home. It was going to be a new home that they had to get used to. But finally, according to biblical prophecy, Cyrus the Great, the Persian, comes in and he says, you know what, I'm going to start to allow the Jews to go back to their homeland. This is 70 years later. And so just as there were three waves that were deported, there are also now three waves that are returning. So you have three waves of exile leaving Judah, and eventually, starting 70 years later, you have three waves coming Back, Starting in 538, Zerubbabel, the descendant of David, brings back a group. In fact, he brings back a group of about 50,000 Jews. These are Jews who love God. They're zealous to get back to their homeland. And so this, um, this descendant of David, this grandson of Jehoiachin, Zerubbabel, is made governor this man who stands in the line of David Cyrus says listen you can go back to your home you've been here long enough you can go back to your home and you can begin to rebuild the temple so Solomon's temple that had been destroyed is now going to be rebuilt and it's going to be rebuilt under the leadership not of Solomon. Solomon is long dead, nor of David his father. David is long, long gone. But comes through the descendant of David, Zerubbabel. Later in 458, another wave of exiles would return. They would return with Ezra. And so we have this book in the Bible of Ezra. What What is Ezra talking about? Well, it talks about this first wave of Zerubbabel going back in time, but it's also talking about this second wave when Ezra brings a group back from Babylon. So you have this first wave, then you have this second wave. And then there's a third wave under Nehemiah. And Nehemiah brings back a a wave from Babylon, this, this third and final wave in 444 B.C., So you have these three different leaders bringing back different waves of Jews, different waves of Israelites back from Babylon. They are returning. They have been exiles. They have been exiled in the land of Babylon, and they are now returning back happily and joyfully. They are returning back to their homeland. Now Haggai, in our text here, he is is preaching to this first wave that came back under Zerubbabel. So he's preaching here in in 520. These are exiles who have now returned. This is why we call these three minor prophets post-exilic prophets because they're prophesying to people who have returned from Babylon. And he is concerned about this first wave of people that came back so joyfully, so excited about the things of God, but they have begun to neglect the priorities that they have been given. Mainly, they have begun to neglect the priority of the glory of God. And so Haggai is looking at this group and he is saying, listen, guys, God has assigned you to do something. You came back with shouts. You were all excited. We're finally going back home. In fact, some of the people who remembered the first temple, they were now old. They had been young when they were deported. To Babylon, they're coming back now as old people. They remember what had happened. They're so excited, they're so joyful to get back to their homeland, but now things are starting to not go so well as, they, as they're as they now trying to make a home there again in Judah. Turn with me to Haggai chapter 1, verse 1. Haggai is preaching, he is prophesying to this, this first wave He's preaching in 520. They had returned 18 years before that. They had started to lay the foundation of the temple two years later. So they were there for two years, and they started to rebuild the temple. They got to the foundation. Now, Haggai here in verse 1 of chapter 1, it says, in the second year of Darius the king. By the way, this is not Darius of uh, Daniel. You remember there is a Darius who is Darius the Mede. This is not that Darius. This is a different Darius. But we know the precise date because of the time of this king. So we know that Haggai is preaching right at 520. It says here, in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, appointed him with the exiles and has returned from Babylon with this with this first wave, the son of Shittil, governor of Judah. And to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. So he says, listen, I've got a message for you. I've got a message for the governor, and I've got a message for the high priest. Now here's the message. Verse 4, if you skip down to verse 4. He says, is it it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, what he is saying here is he said, you guys are building yourselves nice houses. You uh, You have come back to your homeland with great conviction. You have wanted to be back with the Lord. You have wanted to see his temple rebuilt. But now the house of God, the temple, the foundation has been laid. But right now the house of God lies in ruins while you are focusing on your own homes, your own life. What happened? You came with such conviction, you were saved in such power. The Holy Spirit had descended, and there was a there was a time of the, there was a time of excitement in your life. Yea, God, we're going to go conquer the world for Jesus. Every day you couldn't wait to read your Bible, You're just looking through the Bible, just wanting to devour it. You couldn't get enough teaching. When you heard about tithing, you were, you were at first cautious, but then you said to yourself, well, um, maybe I need to do this. And the Lord gave you a fire to begin to tithe and so you began to write those first checks, and it was a step of faith. And all of a sudden, you began to see the Lord's. Uh, you began to see the Lord's blessing. Perhaps it was home group. You sign a covenant. And you say, "I'm going to be faithful to home group," because I realize that church is not just about Sunday morning and uh, and coming here for an hour and a half. But the church is the church is about coming to the Lord Jesus Christ and surrendering my life to him and being on fire for him. And the older that we get, the more fire we should have. Oh, yes, we mellow out to a certain extent. There's a mature wine. That fire doesn't die. In fact, as we grow older, we get more excited about the thing about church. We begin to battle the flesh, but we want to be in the word of God. We we want to be singing praises. We like our time with God alone as we're worshiping him and lifting his name up on high. Lord, I lift your name on high. We love God. We love his people. God gives us a mission and he says, this is exactly what I want you to do. And we hear it, this clarion, this clear call before the Lord. We say, yes, Lord, I'm going to march forward in your power. I'm going to conquer giants because you you are with me. And Then after a while, some, those who are passionate about the Lord, all of a sudden they still love the Lord. It's not that they're not saved. It's not that they don't care about the things of God. It's, it's not that, but all of a sudden they begin to compromise. They begin to say, you know what? Uh, Maybe maybe we don't need to focus on the temple. We know that the Lord assigned us to come back from Babylon. This is why he wanted us to come back. 50,000 people, there were singers that came, and there was worship, and there was praise, and God had assigned them to come back. And yet now they began to work on their houses. They were more concerned about summer vacations and boats and being at different places. What about home group? Well, that's not so important anymore. What about faithfully tithing? Ten percent of my money? That's a lot of money, Lord. How am I gonna live? Ten percent? That that means you're gonna you're gonna actually ask me to walk by faith. You mean every Sunday I need to be in church? Every Sunday? But I'm not so excited anymore about church. Can't we can't we can't we move things around so we can somehow skip church and And miss church. And God is coming along and he's saying to his people, listen, you're focused. You still love me, but you're focused on all these different things in your life. And the question he asks is this, are you getting anywhere? Are you getting anywhere? In fact, if you go with me here to uh, Haggai, look with me here at chapter 1. He says this, he says uh, that you live in these paneled houses, you're focused on your home. You watch all the home shows and you know exactly how to update your home and make sure that your car is fixed and all these different things. Things. It says in verse 5, Now therefore, uh, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. The more you work, you don't get ahead. Well, what I'll do is I'll move, I'll move the priorities around, move the priorities around because I've got to pay the electric bill, and we've got to eat, and we've got medicine, and we've got all these different things. So perhaps what I'll begin to do is I'll, I know God wants these things in my life and he's speaking so clearly and listen, the the Holy Spirit has a way of putting his finger on specific things in our lives without the preacher even having to say it's this or it's that. The preacher could list a hundred different things and miss the hundred and first thing that really matters and that's the thing that you're dealing with. But there are people who say, you know what? I, I've got to do these different things. I've got, to, I've got to pay the bills. I've got to focus on these things. So I really, I really can't put these priorities first. And guess what? They never get ahead. The, the person who says, Well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to really participate at church. I'm not going to really, really have fellowship with other believers. And by the way, I don't even really like Christians. That kind of spirit. Instead of getting ahead in life, that person gets behind in life. The person who says, you know what, I'm really not going to tithe. That's way too much money because I've got all these other things. And so instead of getting ahead in life, God is saying, how's that working out for you? Is he providing for you? Is he taking care of all your needs? Or do you find at the end of every two weeks or end of every month, you're going, where did all the money go? It's like you have a hole in this bucket. That's what God is asking here. He's saying, consider your ways. This is a a question we need to ask ourselves here this morning. We need to consider our ways. In fact, he says it here twice. Verse 5 and verse 7. Consider your ways. Consider your ways. Are they the ways that are putting the Lord first? The things of God first? Or is it, yes, I love the Lord, but I'm making excuses in my life. So that I don't have to really follow him. I don't have to really serve him with my whole heart, with my whole life. And the question is, are you getting anywhere like this? God says in verse 8, go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house. That is the temple. He's saying rebuild the temple, this temple that was made by Solomon. He's saying it's up to you guys. You you have been called back for this specific purpose, and that is to build the temple. Go up to the hills and bring wood. Wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. So God is saying, think about this. God is saying, that the person who says, Well, I'm going to struggle in my own strength. I'm going to just keep toiling. I'm going to just keep toiling. I'm going to get it done. I'm going to neglect the priorities of the Lord. I'll neglect reading the Bible. I'm going to neglect softness of heart. You know, a lot of these things just begin with a new heart. Just saying, Lord, make me teachable. Make me soft. Make me uh, easily correctable. God, correct me with your word. Do you have a spirit like that? you have a spirit that says, Lord, I I really want to know your word. I don't want to just know it, but, Lord, I want to live it. I want to be corrected by it. God is saying the person who just says, well, I'm going to do it all on my own. I'm going to still love God. I still have a love there for God, but I'm going to rebel in my own ways. God says this, I'm blowing it all away. Listen, there there are people who need to tithe themselves out of being in a situation where they can never pay the bills. Some people need to start coming to church faithfully and putting church ahead of other priorities even if that means going to church when you're away, saying, Lord, uh, the the Lord's Day, that's a day, if at all possible, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make sure I'm in your house worshiping. Remember the first pastor I served under, Pastor uh, Parmentary, uh, one of his nephews, I believe, said something like, well, we don't we don't pray here. We don't pray over the meal. And Pastor Parmentary, his name was Frank, Francis Parmentary, said, well, when when you're with Frank, when you're with Uncle Frank, we pray. So he bowed his head and they all prayed. I told the kids the same thing on the missions trip that we're going on to. I said, when you're with Pastor Johnson, we go to church. We go to church. Sunday, we'll be in church. The Sundays, we are gone here. We we miss church. I, I don't like being away from church. Last Sunday, we were in church. Next Sunday, we'll be in church. The following Sunday, we'll be in church. It's the priority. It's saying, God, I'm going to put you first in these basic things. God, I don't understand how you're going to provide. They, they, are, they are sitting there in Judah going, God, this is this isn't impossible. But how do you expect us to build this temple, this beautiful edifice? God is saying you're concerned about all these other things and good things. It's good to be concerned about your house. It's good to be concerned about your home and your vacations and cars and paying bills and all those other things. But Jesus said it like this. He said, seek first his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom. Seek first his righteousness. And he said this, all these things will be added to you. We, we want to be in a situation where we're not having everything in our life just being blown away. The Lord has the ability to say, you're going to trust yourself. I'm going to just blow away the hay and the stubble of your life. Just blow it away. And so he comes here and he says, look, I blew it all away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because my house lies in ruins there in verse nine. Which each of while well, each of you busies himself with his own house, you're so you're so worked up about your own house and your own affairs that you can never, you can never just take time out to think about the priorities of what is going on in your life. That is, that is what is going on here. They had been there 18 years at this point. Two years in, they had started to build the foundation of the temple, but then they had been stopped. So think about this. When they had first gotten there, they had started to build the temple two years in. They got to the foundation part, and then all of a sudden, everything came to a halt. Everything came to a stop. This is the way that the Lord works sometimes. Say, Lord, what are you doing here? Lord, what are you doing in this church? We remember the days when, Lord, it seemed like you were doing this, and you were doing this, and then things came to a halt. Perhaps it's things in your family. Lord, you were you were working so powerfully in this way or that way, and all of a sudden, things came to a this came to a standstill, Lord, what are you doing? Here? are you still Lord are you still moving? Are you still working what what's going on? Sometimes we think that the Lord works in ways where we just start something and boom it's step one, it's step two, it's step three it's step four, and very oftentimes it's not like that. In fact, oftentimes there's discouragement that sets in and problems and opposition and adversity. And all sorts of different things come. And all of a sudden, the work of God that started with such excitement has come to a complete, dead stop. In fact, it has stopped for 16 years. So they have the foundation built. In fact, why don't you turn with me to Ezra. Ezra chapter 3. They have the the foundation built. Ezra chapter 3, verse 10. So here they come, they're coming back. The Lord has given them a mission, and the the mission is to rebuild the temple. By the way, if you're wondering how we're going to get through all Haggai, we're not. Just looked at the clock. So they come back. This is the first first wave. By by the way, you can go back up to verse 8 and see that it's under Zerubbabel. That's what we just read in Haggai. and uh, and the high priest that we just read about. Now if you go down to verse 10, and when the builders laid the foundation, there it is, they're laying the foundation of the temple. The temple of Solomon has uh, been in ruins, and now they are relaying a new foundation of the temple. The priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, the king of Israel. And they sang responsively. That's how we're to sing. We were dead this morning. God, what's going on here? Lord, change our hearts. Well, I don't like that song. Lord, you don't know what I was going through before I came here. Isn't the Lord worthy of our most expressive praise? We could sing to an organ. We could sing with a, a bad song leader that sings out a pitch and think, the Lord we don't have anything close to that. But we could. Somebody gets up here with a heart to Jesus and just begins to sing and they're an annoying song leader. And we say, but God, you're worthy of my praise. You're worthy. So up go the hands and up goes the heart. Listen, listen, this is is for you, beloved. It's for you. It's for your sake. It's for your joy. If you're coming in here Sunday after Sunday and you can't worship responsibly, just stand there and kind of sing and mumble the songs. Listen, something's wrong with your heart. Something's wrong. There must come a point in your life where you say, God, help me. And Lord, no matter what happens, God, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to say this. We talk to our soul like the psalmist talked to himself. He said this. He didn't talk to somebody else. He talked to himself. He said, bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. Who's he talking to himself? Soul. He's saying you're going to bless the Lord. If you don't feel like it, or if you feel like it, you're going to bless His holy name because He's with us and He is He's worthy of all of our praise. Bless the Lord, bless the Lord. So here they come in. They sing. They sing responsively. Bob must have been with them because there were cymbals. They had, they had a drummer. By the way, this is an old thing, but you don't hear this anymore. Who's in a church? Well, it's in the Bible. To praise the Lord according to the directions of David, King of Israel. By the way, having drums in church is a lot more biblical than having an organ in church. Okay. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good and for his steadfast loves love endures forever. Let's just repeat that out loud. We need to just bless the Lord this morning. Would you say say this with me? For he is good. For he is good. Let's say it again. For he is good. Then say this with me. For his steadfast love endures forever. You ready? For his steadfast love endures forever. No matter what I came in this morning with, his steadfast love endures forever. He's worthy. Oh, is he worthy? You go, I'm going through a nightmare in my life. That's all the more time to bless his name. He's worthy. You have a hard heart this morning? Soften it. Say, Lord, help me. Help me. So we say, we command our soul. This is soul talk. Soul, you will bless the Lord. Don't care what the worship leader's like. Don't care what the song is like. I don't care what that person said to me. thinking the 10th Avenue North leader, and he's up there and he's going, oh, no, she didn't. That's our attitude sometimes. Listen, we come before the Lord. We come before the Lord. Lord, your steadfast love endures forever. Your steadfast love endures forever. Now, notice this. Verse 11. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. This is the new temple. This is Zerubbabel's temple. They're all shouting, "Woo! the Lord be praised. The foundation of the temple is laid. This is an exciting time. There's only one problem. Verse 12. But many of the priests and the Levites and the head of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first house, that is, they saw saw Solomon's temple. Now they're coming back. They've been in exile for 70 years. Some of them were little boys when they had left. They remember. This is why it's good to have your boys and your girls in church. They remember, they remember, they remember the atmosphere, they remember the word, they might not remember all the details, they remember songs, and so they're remembering back to this this temple. They remember the beauty of Solomon's temple. And when they saw this next foundation, this foundation of this second temple, they wept with a loud voice. When they saw the foundation of the house being laid, Though many shouted aloud for joy. I'm going to close with this. So here's here's what's going on. The foundation of the temple is being relaid. And the old men who watch and are looking at this this foundation, they're weeping, and they're not weeping for joy. This is how zealous they are over the things of God. And they're looking at this foundation and they're saying, It's this temple. This thing is ugly compared to the first. So you have all these born during the exile, they're all shouting and they're all cheering over the foundation of the temple is being laid. And we're back in our homeland. Isn't this exciting? The first wave to come back home, 50,000 people so excited. And in the meaning, there's old men and old women as they're weeping over the comparison of the first temple with the second temple. God, this isn't even the same thing. Verse thirteen says, So that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. So there is this there's this festal shout. And there's weeping at the same time. And there's people crying, saying it's not the same thing, it's not the same thing. You ever feel like that? Oh, Lord, what are you doing? Lord, this is your command, and we're all zealous about this. The old men are crying, the young men are singing loudly, we love you, Lord. <laughs> I mean, you got this... Unbelievable comparison. And the sound couldn't be distinguished between the two. Listen, this is history. This happened. This is why we go through all this stuff. Why does it matter? Why don't we just... Would you stand with me? I could ask the worship team to please come forward. The the worship team that is singing... Father, we come before your mighty name and uh, we ask you, God, that you would change our hearts. But I pray if there's those here, they're just not putting you first in their priorities. they, They know that there's a conviction there. They're saying, I'm not, today's the day. I need to say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. That's you today. Would you raise your hand? I'm not going to call you for it, but you'd raise your hand. Just say, I've not been putting the Lord as a priority in my life, and I know it. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Praise the Lord. Priority. Priority. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you. We thank you for that. Sweet presence of the Holy Spirit that comes to challenge us. Lord, I pray for the one who has not raised their hand and they know it's, it's a spirit of rebellion. Lord, I pray that thing would be broken in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus today. Lord, you know, you know. Cause us, we pray, to say, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. We say this for the sake of Christ alone. Amen.